Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 22nd, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. I'm still in Las Vegas. He's back home healing in Connecticut. And what a what a Saturday that was in college basketball. Villanova upset Kansas. Colorado upset Dayton. St. John's upset Arizona in the Chris Mullen Invitational in San Francisco. <laughs> I told you to honor Mike Anderson. From this day forward, Mike Anderson will forever be known as King of the Bay. Hashtag Golden Gate Mike. Norlander, did you see what? what Golden Gate Mike did to Arizona on Saturday? I I woke up to discover this parish. I'm I'm still I'm I'm mending. Feeling feeling a little better today, I guess, than the past two days. I think I might be able to one day love again. Um, but I did not I did not get a chance to see. I watched some of the I watched the start of the game, but I was just I was physically I was done. So I was like, I gotta call it and I'll see what goes down. But sure enough. Damn, St. John's knocks off Arizona. Not even getting a return game, a one-time deal there. So if you want, if uh, listen, St. John's fans have obviously hit me up on this, and they wanted some more talk. I'm gonna give them props real quick here because th- that was, hey, I thought St. John's would be the worst team in the Big East. Maybe it still will be, but right now, Johnny's fans riding way high. I mean, 11 and two. Credit to you. You get a nice road, uh, you know, quasi road, you know, neutral court, whatever you want to call it, win against Arizona. Um, what was it, a three point? It was something like 70, 60, 68, 70, 67, something like that. Got the win. What did you say, by the way? Hashtag Golden. What was it? <laughs> Golden Gate Mike. Hashtag Golden. Mike, Mike Anderson, King of the Bay. Hashtag Golden Gate Mike. Okay. He's Golden Gate Mike. He went out to San Francisco, won the Chris Mullen Invitational. Johnny's fans, be optimistic. Enjoy this. You go 11 and 2 in your non-conference schedule. That's better than what anyone thought you were going to be in the first year under Mike Anderson. Only losses at home to Vermont by two, and then against Arizona State. But uh, overall, congrats on that. Arizona, we'll see. I still actually like them, big picture, but not uh, not good to lose against St. John's on a neutral. So yes, that was that was arguably, I guess, the biggest result of the weekend. Hashtag not really, but um, but yeah, no St. John's fans. I know you wanted even more analysis when we got to the mailbag from late last week. Um, yeah, I promise you, if you guys continue to to play well in a stacked Big East, and trust me, we're going to get to that later on this podcast, then we're going to get you. In fact, your first Big East game comes New Year's Eve against really maybe the best team in the league in Butler, and we're going to get to Butler. Don't you worry about it for the first time this season on the podcast. But we'll wait and see. Congrats to St. John's fans and, of course, St. John's and Golden Gate Mike. I guess that's now a thing. Um, Good win on you. Norlander, first off, I don't think you're authorized to be making promises to St. John's fans at the opening of a podcast. And nobody's worried about whether we're going to get to Butler. There's literally nobody listening right now who's like, Do not underestimate the Butler fan base. We we are going to get to Butler, I promise. But I had to I had to start with uh, Golden Gate, Mike King of the Bay, Mike Anderson going to San Francisco and beating Arizona again. The upsets, uh, the big ones: Villanova upset Kansas, Colorado upset Dayton, St. John's upset Arizona, Ohio State. Meantime, dealt Kentucky its second straight loss. North Carolina snapped its four-game losing streak against UCLA. Auburn, San Diego State, Duquesne, and Liberty. Each remained undefeated. So we could take this uh, uh, any number of directions. But I want to start with the fact that there's going to be a new number one in the AP poll on Monday because Kansas became, as I'm sure you've heard, the fifth top-ranked team to lose so far this season. If you keep in track, 
Number one, Michigan State lost to Kentucky. Number one, Kentucky lost to Evansville. Number one, Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin. Number one, Louisville lost to Texas Tech. And now number one, Kansas has lost to Villanova. We'll get to who should be the new number one in a minute. But I thought Bill Self nailed it Saturday. After losing to Villanova, the Hall of Fame coach from Kansas said he doesn't believe there are any dominant teams in college basketball. And he thinks it's because there aren't as many good players in college basketball as usual. Norlander, what do you make of that theory? I 100% buy it. Um, a couple couple places I want to take this. First of all, um, I don't know if this is completely related, but I was thinking about this a couple days ago. Parrish, we're, we're just at about Christmas here. I cannot remember the last season of college basketball where we were six, seven, eight weeks deep into a season and you looked around at the landscape and you thought, okay, who's, you know, top three, top five, top seven guys you'd have for national player of the year. Usually by this point, when 90% plus of the non-conference slate has been played, you have some sort of assembly of it. Um, the closest thing we can get to a statistical analysis of this is probably the, the KPOI, Ken Palm Player of the Year algorithm. Right now, here's one through ten. Louisville's Jordan Wara. Two is Duke's Vernon Carey Jr. Three is Ohio State's Caleb Wesson. Four is Iowa's Luca Garza. Five is Marcus Howard at Marquette. Six is Oregon's Peyton Pritchard. Seven is Kansas's Devon Dotson. Eight is Dayton's Obi Toppin. Uh, nine is Seton Hall's Miles Powell. Hope to get you back on the floor soon. And then ten is Gonzaga's uh, Philip Petrushev. So um, maybe a couple surprises in there, like Luca Garza being four is certainly something that we wouldn't expect. Um, but there, ha- there has not been a combination of guys being awesome and their teams landing signature wins uh, consistently and staying in the top 10, top 15 of the polls. So I think that's that's been a case. And I don't even know who my favorite would be. Do you have, if, you had to, if you have to log it right now, Parrish, would it be one of those 10? Would it be somebody else? Like, who is the player of the year to you right now in college basketball? Well, first and foremost, I think you're right. Like, usually by this time, there is an obvious guy. Or at least there's three obvious guys. Yeah. But but there's you know Zion has emerged by now. Adam Morrison has and JJ Redick have emerged by now. Um, Denzel Jim, Valentine, Buddy Heald, the year that they were both they were both awesome by Christmas. It can sometimes be a two horse race. I get what you're saying. Right. And and right now it's like, I mean those are all nice players. But is is if you had to name a national player of the year right now, you'd be like. Um, I mean, you, you like with Zion, you'd go, it's clearly Zion Williamson. And if you had to do it right now, you'd be like, I guess it's Peyton Pritchard. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like it, it, right now, if I had to vote player of the year, I'd probably go Peyton Pritchard or or uh, Caleb Wesson. And like, <laughs> and neither one of them just jump off the page. Although I, like Peyton has been terrific. He was terrific again on Saturday. He has been good. I'd be Wesson, Pritchard. You know, had Dayton won yesterday, it might, it might be Obi Toppin. Uh, and they lost uh, in a heartbreaker. I'll touch on that later uh, briefly. The other the other reason is this. Now, I wrote about this in the lead-up to the NBA draft in May. So what's happened here is as the NBA has, um, you know, I don't want to say loosened its guidelines, but as the pre-draft process has expanded and as two-way contracts and the money tied to them has become – uh, you know, more enticing uh, as as players have found less of a stigma to potentially starting their careers in either the G League or even chasing um, 
playing for a foreign team for a couple of years before maybe hopefully breaking into the NBA, that has led to larger pools of players leaving college basketball early uh, in hopes that they can they can make as much money as possible. And whether or not that's a good decision, I, I don't even think we really have enough data just yet. We might need a couple more years to really uh, find out if that's uh, a good thing or a bad thing collectively on the behalf of the players. But what it has led to is an unprecedented era in college basketball. And it's not just talented freshmen leaving. The issue here is that you have sophomores-to-be, juniors-to-be, and seniors-to-be who are leaving college basketball en masse more than ever before. Here are the number of underclassmen who remained in the pool to be selected in the 2019 draft after the NCAA and NBA deadlines came and went. In 2016, it was 59 guys. In 2017, it was 64 guys. In 2018, a significant jump, more than 20%. It went up to 79 guys. And then this season, 86 players who were not seniors, who were eligible to return to college if they so chose, chose not to, pursued pro opportunities. And so even if you, you, you take you know, four of those guys, eight of those guys, 12 of those guys, fringe prospects, whatever, that could have been top three, top five, top 10 guys in the league, depending on the league they are, they're not in college basketball anymore. And so that's why I think collectively the talent has dipped and why we're seeing a little bit of what we're seeing this year. Those are my answers as to why college basketball is the way it is right now. I, I, I think that what you just touched on is certainly one of them. Uh, let me circle back to and, and when Bill Self said this, it's nothing that um, lots of people haven't said. Jay Wright literally said the same thing after the same game. There's no dominant team in college basketball. We've touched on this before, but just to update it, um, right now Ohio State's got the highest adjusted efficiency margin in the country. It's plus 27.69. That would only be tied for seventh last season. And if it ends up being the highest adjusted efficiency margin at the end of the season, 27.69, it would be the lowest, best final adjusted efficiency margin of the Ken Palm era. So, again, what, what does that mean in, like, real words? It means that uh, the best teams in the country this season are not as good as the best teams we watch in most seasons. Beyond that, or, or if we're trying to figure out, okay, so what, what caused that? What created that? I think there's three things. One of them is what you touched on. Lots of borderline prospect left good teams early only to go undrafted. Like, let's look at only, forget second-round picks, guys who are in G League. I'm just saying guys who went undrafted after leaving college with eligibility remaining. Like, Tyler Cook could be at Iowa right now. Mm-hmm. How good would they be? This is the one. What if Jared Harper was at Auburn right now? Like, Auburn's undefeated. Yeah. Top 15 in the country, and they could theoretically have Jared Harper who went undrafted. Zach Norvell could be at Gonzaga right now. Shamori Pons could be at St. John's right now. Naz Reed could be at LSU right now. All players who left school early and went undrafted. So that's some of it. There is, there's, there's more and better professional opportunities for borderline NBA prospects than ever before. And these players are, are, are chasing it and, 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 and hopefully at least taking advantage of it. So that's one thing. The other obvious thing is that some of the best class of 2019 prospects either didn't enroll in college or have already quit their college team or they're hurt. Yeah, That's LaMelo Ball, R.J. Hampton, James Wiseman, Cole Anthony. That's four top ten picks. Three of them aren't in school anymore, and the others hurt and might not return to college basketball. So that's another factor. And then I think this is a factor as well. Some of the best talent in the class of 2019 didn't go to – traditional blue blood schools 
Like, what if James Wiseman went to Kentucky instead of Memphis? He might still be playing right now. And, and Kentucky might be the it, best team in the sport, honestly. If that if he was it, playing, that that could definitely be the case. Right. You take those guards, you can give it like that's besides the fact that Kentucky can't shoot or is it making shots. Uh, the bigs are just like whatever for the most part. And you throw James White like he was picking between Memphis and Kentucky. What if he picked Kentucky? Then Kentucky might look like a dominant team. What if Anthony Edwards went to Kentucky instead of Georgia? Hmm. What what if Isaiah Stewart went to Duke or Michigan State instead of Washington? And I'm not just throwing out random schools. Uh, Wiseman considered Kentucky. Anthony Edwards con- was pick pick Georgia over Kentucky. Isaiah Stewart was down to Duke, Michigan State, Washington. What if Scotty Lewis went to Kentucky instead of Florida? So I think those <laughs> what if all that- these what if all these dudes just went to Kentucky? <laughs> it'd be <laughs> it'd be compelling as hell. Uh, that's for that's, that's, that's for sure. the way it used to be. I, I, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. And if that actually had happened. Uh, we would have a great like th- th- we would have a great team yet again in college basketball. I'm sure I'm sure UK fans, in light of what's happened here in the past two games, are loving this discussion and being like, "Thanks for reminding us, Parrish." But you're right. Uh, if that had happened, we could be you know discussing other things for sure. Yeah, like James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, and Scotty Lewis, at the very least, were like down to the schools they picked and Kentucky, and they all picked the other schools, not Kentucky. Here's a here's a question for you. Think about this. What if Every player went to Kentucky. How good would they be? Well, that's that's not allowed. But yeah, sure. If they just decide, you know, I'm just going to go. I I don't even care about my college eligibility anymore. There's no room on the roster. I'm just going to attend the University of Kentucky. I don't. I don't think there's a limit on walk-ons. There, what there's if not. Every, what if every play? What if Cal gave out 13 scholarships to the 13 best players, and then? Literally every other player in America just enrolled in college at Kentucky, decided to be a walk-on, pay their own way, and Kentucky had like a 500-man roster <laughs> with all of the best players. How yes. good would they be? And and a hundred different platoons. It'd be the ultimate <laughs> platoon system. They'd be incredible. It'd be. Imagine? I don't know why. Like John Calipari thinks he's a big thinker. He's always talking about these big ideas. Hasn't thought he's about got. that. He ain't thought. He ain't thought about that. Nope. I don't know why he's thought about that. In all seriousness, um, that's what it is. It's that uh, some of the best prospects who could theoretically be in college right now aren't in college right now or they're or they're hurt um some of the best talent did not go to traditional blue bloods they kind of split up a little bit went to schools that they don't usually go to like georgia memphis washington and then we lost really good players from really good teams who had eligibility remaining and didn't even get drafted in the 2019 draft i I think that's what I, i think that's what's created this season we're watching right now yeah, I think all of these factors have played a part. But all right, so do we think that this do we think that this will be let's just extend it out a little bit further here. Like do we think that this is the start of a new era for college basketball and you know, for the next X number of years this is just what it's going to be. Like, you know, are we going to have this much uh, tumult in the rankings, this this much of a lack of dominance there. I asked that to you. I'll offer up my answer even before you, you answer it here. I don't. Um, I find this to be an aberrational kind of season. Even if we get to uh, the NBA bringing its age limit down to 18, which everyone says is going to happen, but it's still not for sure. It's not 100%. Um, but if and when that happens, obviously we are going to miss out on, on top-tier talent. I just... I don't know. I, I find this to be an intriguing year because of how ridiculous it's been and how chaotic it's been. But I don't feel like come 2030, when you and I are on our 
2,942nd podcast together. Hey, wait, what, what are the odds you feel better doing this podcast in 2030 than you do right now? That's too dark a future. I do not want to look down. I do not want to look down that right now. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to do a podcast from an Epsom salt bath. By the way, I'm ready just to podcast in the bath with you right now. With two sixty, like, is there even a podcast between two sixty-year-olds? Like, are we? Are we? Of course there is. I'm sure there's a podcast between two eighty-year-olds. Is it? Do you realize how many podcasts are out there? I mean, I guess I do. It's 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 more. More podcasts than a beach has sand, man. Everyone's got a podcast, but we. I'm think assuming. I'm assuming we're going to age out of this thing at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but uh, but when we're getting to 2030, and we're working on this uh, this thing here, and who knows how we'll be communicating to each other by then. Um, our wives have left us at that point because we talk to each other more than them and all that. Uh, I don't think we'll look back on the 2019-2020 season and say, yeah, you know what, that was the start of it. You know, that was the start of college basketball's depression into this era that it's in now. I just, I happen to think that this is something of a standalone season. Do you disagree? Uh, no, I don't disagree. I, I don't think we'll see, I don't think seasons will be typically as chaotic as the season we're watching right now. I do believe this. Um, more and more elite prospects are going to skip college, either because they are allowed to go straight to the NBA draft or because they just decide to pursue other opportunities or they decide just to sit out. I mean, we've got examples of that throughout the sport in recent years. Uh, Darius Baisley just said, you know what? I'm going to sit out. Uh, RJ Hampton's like, yo, I'm going uh, uh, to another continent. Uh, James Wiseman, again, just quit a top 10 team um, while healthy in the middle of the season. I know there's... um, unique circumstances there but still like that's what he did he quit his team in in the middle of a of a season that looked promising I, I do think all of that could lead to more of that type of stuff and I do believe that players are going to leave school more often than they used to um, early um, even if they're not uh, projected to be in the NBA because they'll just um, you know, take advantage of some of these other opportunities that now exist. Like we've talked about on previous podcasts, it used to be people would say, if you're not a first round pick, you need to go back to school. And then it was like, you know what? If you're a second round pick, you're probably getting a guaranteed contract in some form. So like, if you're going to get picked and you want to go, go. And now it's like, okay, you might not get picked, but even if you don't get picked, you can still maybe get a two way. So I, I think the, the pool of players that are, I, I talked to coaches about this before. And this is what they'll tell you, or this is what I told them, and they agreed. It used to be if you had a, 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 a top 30 pick on your team, you should prepare to lose it. Then it became if you've got a pick on your team, first round, second round, you should prepare to lose it. And now it's like if you've got a top 80 or 90 player on your team, you should probably think about the idea that you might really lose him. That has changed, I believe, you know, over the past decade – and I don't know that it'll get worse, but I don't see it. I don't see it flipping around and going the other direction. Maybe not. Fl- yeah, maybe not flipping, but I do think that um, because we've seen. <laughs> hey, Parrish, remember we were like, we think we can do this podcast in forty minutes before we started recording. No, that's not going to happen. We're at twenty minutes. We got plenty to touch on, so I'll be quick with this. Um, because we've now seen this weird quasi about face with Mark Emmert, who's like, uh, we need congressional oversight on name, image, and likeness. And like his tune uh, hasn't changed, but he's singing in a little bit of a different key here is Mark Emmert. I think that we'll get enough NIL stuff on the table that still 
because I think you know existentially when we're talking about college basketball and what it can be and how it can entice players and be the best product possible and obviously a very competitive marketplace. Um, the NIL and its rights to players is not insignificant. In fact, it, wind, it might wind up being one of the more significant things. And so I think by 2022, 2023, uh, we could have a system in place that it might just be enough to keep some of those guys that were on the fringes uh, to return. And I also think that Wiseman is a unique situation that won't be duplicated. LaMelo Ball is a unique situation that won't be duplicated. Two of the top three projected picks in the draft, we're not going to have, uh, even if there is a, a dad out there of, of a pair of brothers or, or – or three brothers, and they're all 8, 10, and 12 right now, um, that's just not going to happen again. So uh, I do think that those uh, circumstances are specific to this season. I know what RJ Hampton did. I still think that there's a strong possibility we'll get another RJ Hampton come next April, May, June. But um, I'm just I'm more inclined to believe that you know the tide will rise again with college basketball in the next year, two, or three. I hope you're right. Let's move on. So I was inside T-Mobile Arena on Saturday for – Ohio State 71-65 victory over Kentucky. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Hey, everybody. It's Will Brinson, host of the Pick 6 podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL podcast. We know the sports world is very different than it was a few weeks or even months, certainly months ago, but I'm here to let you know we will remain daily. We are dedicated to bringing you content every day. Day. It's not changing. That's just what we do. It's sort of our thing. We had you covered for free agency in March, and in April, we will be Draft Central, breaking down all the rumors and all the possibilities for what happens, not in Vegas, but maybe some television studios somewhere during the NFL draft. So join me and the cast of characters for Pick 6 Monday through Friday, available to you first thing in the morning. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast shows. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. So the CBS Sports Classic was Saturday here in Las Vegas. Kentucky shot poorly from three again, and Ohio State won despite Caleb Wesson fouling out with 330 remaining. Again, final score, uh, Ohio State 71, Kentucky 65. I wrote about the game, so folks who read probably know what I thought, so let's start with you, Norlander. What's your main takeaway from Ohio State's win over Kentucky on America's most-watched network, the Network of Stars? Main takeaway, um, Kentucky, Kentucky is – not as bad as the general public and maybe its fan base might fear. I thought it actually played a relatively good game. Um, it does have issues, obviously, with, with its shooting, but Ohio State... I actually thought Kentucky played a... Here's, here's the deal. I thought Kentucky, you know, soup to nuts, played a better game relative to what it's played the entire season. Like, for what Kentucky's been, I thought Kentucky played like a B-plus game. 
for what Ohio State's been, I thought Ohio State played like a B-minus game. And it's a statement on both of those teams this season that even though that was the case, Ohio State still won and covered the spread. Shouts to me. I don't know how well I did on the picks, but I think I beat you. Uh, I, I do know, by the way. Do you want to you know? Uh, yeah, I, haven't, I, I didn't check. What is it? You went 4-1 and one and I went 1-4. and four. There we go. There we go. All right. Okay. Um, so I did know that I I'll picked. Go, I'll go ahead and give you the uh, updated tally. You are now 19-15-1, and one, and I am 13-21-1. It's not over. It's a long season ahead. What was the one that I missed then? What was the game I missed and you got right? You be- you picked against your Butler Bulldogs. I did. Oh, how dare I? What's the matter with me? So, um but anyway, just to tie tie a little knot on my thought there, that was my overall thought. I thought, you know what, Ohio State could be could be up by like 15 here, and it just a couple reasons why. I know it was a little bit of a, a skittish whistle, and then Weston fouls out when he shouldn't have even gotten that fourth foul to begin with. But whatever. Um, but I still like. I think I generally still like Kentucky Nate Sestina playing the way he did, stepping out, shooting threes. They need him. Like that was another thing. It's like they need him to be that guy if they're going to win the they, SEC. Yeah, they, so, yeah, they, anyway, they don't only, they don't only need him. They need him to be that, like a pick-and-pop stretch forward. If they can't get perimeter shooting from their guards, they got to get it from somewhere. And he shot 40% last season at Bugnell, Ray Bugnell. Yeah. I I think John tapped into something yesterday, and I believe it's why he was in pretty good spirits even after going 0-2 in Las Vegas. I know he didn't want to lose either of those games, especially the one earlier in the week. But I think he watched his team go toe-to-toe for roughly 40 minutes with one of, if not the best team in the country, and he figured out where he can get shooting from, and it might be from his grad transfer from Bucknell. He was huge, and he's now he's back uh, after you know missing a couple games due to, due to injury, and if if – if Hagens can play close to close to what he was yesterday, I thought he had his, his moments. I still need a little bit more out of Maxi. Quickly at a couple of bright spots because ultimately, you know, Nick Richards, EJ Montgomery, Khalil Whitney, just Keon Brooks. They're not. I don't know if any of those guys are going to become. I don't know if any of those four guys will have a game this season where Kentucky fans at the end of it go, "We won the game." Because of the way that Nick Richards played for 31 minutes. Or we won the game because of the way that E.J. Montgomery paid for 26 minutes. Same with Whitney, who is going to probably be one and done regardless. But Whitney's just a total jag on this team. Um, he is. Why is that funny? He, um, it's nothing against him. He's going to be a millionaire in seven months. Uh, but he has not been an impact guy on Kentucky whatsoever. And I, I'm not even seeing like first round stuff so far so i'm just saying like it's to me it's hagan's been fun I, I i would argue this is the worst group of bigs cal's had since he's been to kentucky it's it's hard to argue against that and so how about this okay let me let me just lob this back at you does i'm still in on kentucky relatively speaking and by in i would say i've seen this show before to a certain extent they still wind up getting good seeds they they, they have a presence in march i think they're going to be a top two team in the SEC. I think that's going to be the case. But how is that going to be the case if what you said is true and we are headed that way? If if the front line here of Richards, Montgomery, if you want to include, you got to be fair, include Sestina in there, but he's not asked to do the kind of things that Richards, Montgomery, um, Brooks, Whitney's, you know, Whitney's obviously a tweener. I wouldn't put him on the front line. But if that's true and something you got to here, you can expand on this. 
if that's the case and they're just this horrendous from three-point range, then how could Kentucky possibly be what we think it should be? If you're that bad from the perimeter on offense and you don't have reliability in your front court, then you know, it's and you're 8 and 3 and you have one good win, then maybe we are still just kind of psyching ourselves up and giving credit to past teams and we'll get to early March and say no, this was actually the the evidence was in by December, we just didn't want to believe it. Um I will still go contrary to what I'm just stated here, but Parrish, you know, are you more likely to sell on Kentucky at this point, given what we've presented here in the past three, four minutes? I'm not selling. I, I mean, I, I would buy them at this price, the price uh, that people are starting to wonder if they'll even make the NCAA tournament. I actually don't know if people are wondering that. I shouldn't just say that. But listen, uh, they are not in the top 25 and one anymore. I don't know whether they'll be in the AP poll, but they shouldn't be in the AP poll. Um, and so like, given that I could buy them at an unranked price, I would buy them, not sell them here. Uh, they're they're still top 20 in defensive efficiency. They still got maybe not typical great Kentucky talent, but they still got more talent than most. And I think Sistina is going to fix some of the shooting problems. I think Ashton Hagens is a better uh, shooter. I mean, not Ashton Hagens. I think Tyrese Maxey is a better shooter than he's shown. And I just think they're going to shoot better, if only because, my God, you can't shoot worse. So I, I'm – I'm still a believer in Kentucky, maybe not as a real national championship contender or a team likely to get back to number one in the rankings, but I still think it's a team that can that can compete for the SEC title and you know play in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, if not further. I'm not ruling any of that out. All right, let me ask you this. So our last season when we were both well, – it's just hard to imagine. It was a year ago. I was at the CBS Sports Classic and able to walk, sit, and be <laughs> ambulatory like a normal human being. And we watched Kentucky beat North Carolina. Remember last season? Did I go last season? Yes, you went. What are you talking about, my man? Yes, you were there. You were remember. there. What are you talking about? I have no recollection of being there last season. We got we got uh, uh, Malnati's after the game that night. Remember, went to the pizza spot? I vaguely remember that. Come on, dude. This is a year ago. (laughs) I don't remember entire trips to Las Vegas. No, it was Chicago. We were in Chicago, not Las Vegas. Oh, it was in Chicago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Come on. Come on, let's pull the thread. Pull the thread. You got you you went right to the United Center. You met me there. Anything? Uh, We went out got we got pizza that night. Wow. I don't know. Not a good moment for you here. Anyway, um, the, Kentucky had lost to Duke. Remember, got blown out. <laughs> lost to Seton Hall in overtime. Didn't have a good win. We had a lot of discussions similar to that them them then than we are, as we are right now. And what kind of changed our minds was not that it, it defeated North Carolina in the Champions Classic because it did, but it you know the score was 80-72. But Keldon Johnson played well. Ashton Hagens had eight steals. You know, you had Reed Travis, who had a relatively strong game. And after that, we talked about, okay, if this is what Kentucky can be. Like, we saw body-to-body, physically, what Kentucky's capable of. And lo and behold, Kentucky goes on to get a two-seed. It won 27 games heading into the NCAA tournament. So that's a long setup just to say, since you were there and I was not, when you watched the game yesterday... Whereas a year ago, we looked at Kentucky going up against Carolina and said, okay, we see what they have here and what they're capable of. This is why you should not bail on Kentucky. Physically, 
you know, when it was playing against an Ohio State team that's indisputably better at this point, did Kentucky look like a team that can do the kind of stuff that it wound up doing a season ago? I think they can. I mean, I didn't watch Kentucky yesterday and go like, oh boy, this team's great. Like they can't, they didn't make shots and they haven't made shots all season. I, I will say, um, I talked to Dave Odom earlier in the week, the former Wake Forest coach. He's involved with this event and he had set in on a Kentucky practice and he was like, I'm telling you, they can shoot. They're just not making shots. I watched them practice. They have shooters. And then John has said the same thing on back-to-back days to me. Like, we have shooters. We're just not making shots. And I, I, I'm going to trust that that's true to some degree. I don't think it's going to um, result in Kentucky being one of the best shooters in the con- uh, shooting teams in the country or uh, being able to rely on beating people from the perimeter. But I do think they're going to get better. I, 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 just, I, like I would bet a significant amount of money that they don't end this season shooting 27.8% from three. But they are shooting 27.8% from three right now, which ranks 323rd nationally. And I just – I looked this up last night, I guess, when I was writing the column. There hasn't been a team in the past nine seasons make the NCAA tournament while shooting below 28% from three. Not one in the past nine years. Now, Duke shot 30.8% from three last season. And which ranked 327th in the country, and they were the number one overall seed. So, you know, you don't have to go too far to find an example of you can be great shooting this poorly. But I did think it was interesting. No team shooting as poorly as Kentucky is shooting right now has made the NCAA tournament in the past nine years. I, I, I still think if they shot it this poorly, they would be the exception to the rule. They'd make it one way or another. I don't think they're going to shoot it this poorly, uh, this poorly, but those are interesting numbers. Back to your question. Um, I didn't watch Kentucky yesterday and go, oh boy, this is this is a monster. Like, get ready. But I did watch them play Ohio State basket for basket for much of the game. And I do think the demise of Kentucky has probably been overstated. And then I will just fall back on what I always fall back on, which is, except for the year Nerland's Noel tore his ACL, Cal has figured it out. Like maybe all those teams haven't been developed into national championship contenders, but they've all developed into quality basketball teams. And I'd be shocked if this team doesn't also um, develop into a quality basketball team. And I bet we'll start seeing it, you know, probably middle of January, you know, start of February. Okay. Um, Ohio State wins. And you put them back at number one in your top 25 and one. To me, it's not, it's not crazy. It's not. To me... Gonzaga should be the number one team in the country, and not because it's now, it's now like yeah, like the like the scoreboard at Wrigley Field. Like you you, t- you take out Kansas, you insert the next thing. Like it's and Gonzaga bumps up to one. To me, Gonzaga should be the number one, and it will be the number one team in the AP Top Twenty Five. That's just a function of how the voters work. Um, the loss is by more points on a neutral. They each have one loss. And you can get into the specifics if you want, but I don't think the loss is so drastic um, that that it should leapfrog Ohio State. Gonzaga also has three road wins. It has, what, five combined road neutrals. And to me, this is this this would be my clinch 
uh, clinch card for Gonzaga right now. It has been this good. It depends on how you want to evaluate them. Like, it's been this good despite the fact that it's had at least three guys dealing with significant health issues almost the entire season so far, and it's still been awesome. So you can evaluate them as saying, like, imagine how good they'd be if they were at full health, or even despite not being at full health, they're still this good. Regardless, you saw Ohio State win in person. Chris Holtman bribed you, and now Ohio State's number one. Or maybe Mark Titus did, by the way. I think Titus might have been out there. Damn you, I did see Mark Titus. Yeah, Titus, damn you. Titus, are you just trying to appease Mark Titus? Explain yourself. I saw Titus. I saw Tate. I talked to Chris Holtman. Nobody actually tried to bribe me. I just think simply, and listen, reasonable minds can disagree on this. There are some things that I don't think reasonable people can disagree on. But on this, should it be Ohio State or Gonzaga, reasonable people can disagree on it. I simply think Ohio State's got the best body of work. Uh, they're 11 and one, four top 40 Kimpom wins. Um, Gonzaga's got three top 40 Kimpom wins. But yes, I know before somebody screams it, if you take it up top 50, then they both got four. But what I you frame it however you want to frame it. If you frame it that way, Ohio State's got four top 40s. Gonzaga's got three. Um, they are the only zero loss team or one loss team in the country with four top 40 Kimpom wins. Those wins are over Villanova. Kentucky, Penn State, and North Carolina. And then this matters. They won those games by an average of 22 points. They won three of them by at least 25. And they are also number one at Ken Palm. And the loss obviously came at la- last Sunday night at, at, at Minnesota. We'll never forget it. But their second best scorer did not play. So their loss is a shorthanded loss. Whereas Gonzaga's loss, I mean, I went and double checked just to make sure everybody who matters played. And yeah. so you, when you throw all that into a pot, I just decided I, I think Ohio State's got the best body of work. But if, if the AP poll has Gonzaga number one on Monday, I'm not going to go through, find everybody who voted for Gonzaga and write 700 words about how dumb they are. There's nothing dumb uh, with Gonzaga being number one. Yeah, and the margins are slim, by the way. I mean, uh, Ohio State is number one in America in average scoring margin, 21.8. Number three is Gonzaga at 20.1. Number two is actually the team that I would probably put third. San Diego State's 12-0. and 0. Its scoring margin is 20.8 so far this season, so that's one, two, three. And San Diego State has won three road games, three neutrals, beaten BYU, Creighton, Iowa, just, destro- just destroyed the Utah team that beat Kentucky. Um, right. So the Aztecs have been uh, extremely good, only have one more non-con game. And have been kind of zipping under the radar as well. They're, you know, outside of San Diego State fans, I don't think there's hardly any faction that's saying San Diego. Actually, you know what? I think I saw Gottlieb say San Diego State should be number one. But the the resume is actually fairly strong. And I checked the net rankings before we started podcasting. It had not updated for today. San Diego State was number one in the net earlier this week, and then it flipped Friday, I believe. Um, but to me. Right now, after what we saw over the weekend as we talk about who should be one, I would go Gonzaga, Ohio State, San Diego State, and then I think there's actually a fairly, and to be clear, I have not looked at your top 25 one, so I don't know where you have SDSU, but right now, if you kind of took all of it in, uh, I think I go those three, get Butler in there somewhere, Duke in there somewhere, I guess, but I don't know. To me, those three right now in the moment uh, seem separate from the rest considering resume what they've done away from their home venues and SDSU not having a loss yet I don't think is insignificant I did vote uh, I did jump San Diego State up to number 14 uh, obviously 12 and 0 and smashing people like there's no way to get around that but 
you know, it, it's not like they've got this big signature win. They've got a bunch of good wins, right. but they don't have like they don't have a big one. And they are only 19th at Ken Palm for whatever that's worth. I, I, but let me be clear. I don't think you, you I wouldn't put San Diego State number one right now. But if somebody votes San Diego State number one in the on the AP poll on Monday, that's not where I'll choose to focus the Politex column. I think you can you can reasonably um, defend um, you can reasonably defend having the Aztecs at, at number one. Um, I got a trivia time for you. Okay. Trivia time. So I mentioned right now, Ohio State has four top 40 Ken Palm wins. Yeah. I think there's only one other team in the country that has four. Who is it? Butler's my first guess. Butler is an incorrect answer unless. Uh. I didn't check them correctly. Okay, so check them out. So let's double check. <laughs> Butler has two. Okay. Top four. Uh, my next guess is, and this probably isn't it. My next guess is Duke because when the net rankings debuted, Duke was the only team in America with four quad one wins in the first version of the net rankings. Is Duke the correct answer? Duke is not the correct answer. Duke has three. Duke has Kansas, Michigan State, and then Georgetown, which is ranked 39th right now all right give me one more guess here my last guess i want two guesses i lied um my next guess is baylor because they've been sneaky sneaky good here are scott Drew's baylor bears the correct answer baylor is not the correct answer Jeez. baylor has three those three wins are over butler arizona and villanova and then my last guess is um even with the loss on saturday uh, and that was like a weird game, but worth watching. Kansas Villanova, um, the reverse bang from Jay Wright. Actually, the camera caught him afterwards saying it's no good or something on the uh, on Dotson's layup attempt. <laughs> i got to give a camera on Jay Wright's face no matter what if it's a one-possession game to end it. Um, I believe that the net ranking has the Kansas Jayhawks with a top three non-conference strength of schedule. So based on that number, not Ken Palm, but that number, I'll say that Kansas has four top 40 Kempom Williams. Am I right? Is that the answer? That is not the answer. Had they beaten Villanova, had Devon Donson made a free throw or made a runner at the buzzer, they would have four, but they have three right now. The three are over Dayton, BYU, and Colorado. The correct answer is hmm. the Oregon Ducks. Oh. They've okay. got four top 40 wins. They've beaten number 13, Michigan, number 22, Seton Hall, number 30, Memphis, number 34, Houston. So that makes... Ohio State, like I said, the only zero loss or one loss team with four top 40 Kempom wins because Oregon, of course, has uh, has two losses, those losses that it took in the battle for Atlantis. Quick story. So I'm talking to Adam Jardy, who covers Ohio State for yeah. the Columbus Dispatch. I think you're going to tell me what I already know, but go ahead. <laughs> he said in a press kind of Oh, I have the audio. I have the audio. You have the audio? Yeah, I have the audio, but it's not it's too low to play. I was going to surprise you on a podcast like 3 podcasts ago, but unfortunately, the audio is too low. Like I can't even jack the audio from it. To, it would be just it's a too drastic between what our volumes are as we talk to each other right now. It's I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I, I have it. Yeah, go go ahead and tell the listeners what this what Adam did cuz it's it's, tr it's tremendous. In a press conference at Ohio State, and I don't, I didn't, I wasn't clear if Adam asked or if somebody else. No, asked. he asked. Yeah, he it asked. It was Adam. Okay. And then someone uh, tried to tell, someone tried to clarify Adam's question, and Adam's like, "No, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about." Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, the the question was, did you hear what Gary Parish said about 
um, your style of play. And then goes on to eventually tell Chris Holtman that I said on the Iowa College Basketball Podcast that I'm sexually attracted to Ohio State's style of play. <laughs> Which is an all-time – like just a – that's when I, I need to remember, like – people listen to this because <laughs> I'm just talking. I'm just having a good time most of the time goofing around about being sexually attracted to Ohio state style of play. And next thing you know, Chris Holtman's having to answer <laughs> questions about why I'm sexually attracted to his style of play. Uh, which I, uh, so I knew that he had been asked about this and I, I intentionally did not give you the heads up on it. Cause I was wondering, and it obviously didn't, I was wondering if he was going to address it with you before you started rolling on HQ when you had to interview him for HQ, but mega shouts to mega Oasis fan, Adam Jardy for asking that question. And there's someone, there's some other reporter that tries to like clarify the question in different terms. And then Adam's like, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. No, the thing that I don't know if I can repeat it for public consumption here, but Gary Parrish was extremely complimentary in, in your style of play, Chris. And then he asked if Chris had heard it and, Holtman said something to the effect of, like, I did not. Um, obviously, Gary Parrish does a good job promoting the sport. Uh, oh. Love love his coverage of the game like so many of you, but I, I did not. But, yes, that is uh, – so if there's any other teams that you're – listen, here's what we need to do. We need to find a list of the teams whose style of play on either end of the floor, you're, you find yourself sexually – like, really on a carnal level, you, you find it irresistible. We'll get that list out. We can have the beat writers for each of those teams, then go to their you know weekly you know meet, press conference with the coaches and get their responses, and then we can kind of compile them and, and make it into a kind of a special segment at some point on the season on the podcast. I think that's I think that's the next step here. I'm obviously not going to object if somebody wants to start asking random coaches across America what they think about me being sexually attracted to their uh, well. To their hold style. on, okay, just before you know, I need to know your level of horniness over Maryland style of play. Nah, nah, limp. <laughs> oh my god! All right, moving on. Anthony Cow- Anthony Cowan doesn't do it for me. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Ah, uh, it's been a sexual. You're trying to get you're trying to get me to pleasure myself to Anthony Cowan, <laughs> and I can't do that. I can't do that. That's not something I can do. Maryland beat writers, you're off the hook. Beat writers, okay. Um, maybe maybe it's time to move on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> want to talk I about Holtman? Want to talk about Holtman's old team? Uh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> What do you- I want to talk about. I want to talk about my Dayton Flyers. By the way, yeah. By the way, it's before yesterday. It is possible. Had you asked me the same question you asked me about Maryland about Dayton, I'd have had a drastically different answer. <laughs> but then they went and lost on a buzzer beater in Chicago to Colorado, and it was a true buzzer beater. Shot off, buzzer sounds, ball goes through. Deshaun Swartz buried it. He's a 46% three-point shooter. I guess you can get a wide-open three for a, a 46% three-point shooter for the win. You got to do that, right? Awesome game here. Now, I know you didn't get to see it because, yeah, you were obviously in Vegas. Um, this was on CBS Sports Network and was the not just the best game of the day. I watched most of this game from about the 12-minute mark of the first half on. 
Dayton's been involved in two of probably the four or five most entertaining games I've seen the entire season. Um, loving the Flyers here. They obviously had the, the great game in overtime in the Maui Championship against Kansas and now against Colorado. So if you're, you're a Dayton fan, it's great to see that your team's capable of, uh, of such fun levels of drama. But unfortunately, both those games ended in losses. They're the only two losses for the Flyers this season. Obi Toppin, by the way, had an absurd – did you see the putback that he had? Where he Did missed it, got oh, oh my gosh, he he's like posting up this dude, it might have been Tyler Bay, I can't remember who he was posting up, and um, just pounding it, pounding it, pounding it, goes for a little hook, misses it, gets his own rebound, and just one hand slams it back. I'll text you it after this is done. It is uh, one of the five or six best plays of this. Obi Toppin responsible for two of the five or six best plays of the season because he also had the turnaround, made three-pointer, stare down the Kansas bench in the first half of that game uh, back in Maui. Obi Toppin, I cannot get enough. Based on these two plays alone, I think I'd vote him for National Player of the Year at this point. Uh, but Dayton did lose, um, which was a bit of a stinger here. Um, Kansas and Colorado are two of the three best teams Dayton's played so far this season. The other one uh, was St. Mary's. So if you're Dayton, uh, a big opportunity lost. But just a quick note here on Colorado, because the Buffs are potentially going to have their best season in 10, 15, 20 years. We'll see where it can go. This was a, a significant win for Colorado's non-conference resume. Um, the only game left now is against Iona uh, on December 29th, which Colorado should obviously win. Colorado has two players on its roster that I think are going to be on NBA rosters a year from now. Uh, Tyler Bay has been terrific, and then McKinley Wright the fourth is unquestionably, in my mind, a top 10 point guard in America. Now, he hasn't been shooting it well enough this year, so we'll see where that goes. I think kind of Wright's consistency or lack thereof is going to determine what Colorado can and can't do. But, you know, Colorado, it's stuck in a stuck in a weird time zone. Norlander, fast fact, I was born in Denver. There we go. You didn't know that, did you, Parrish? I did not, did not know, know that. that. Born in Denver. I never thought about it for a second. Never even a little bit. Um, but at 10-2, and two, Tad Boyle looking to have a team that is capable of making a Sweet 16, obviously a team getting back to the tournament for the first time in five seasons. Uh, Tad Boyle's been there since 2010-2011. This is probably going to be uh, his best team that he's ever had. So credit to them. Credit for Colorado for just uh, a very entertaining, clutch kind of win. Uh, really strong defensive team. If it can kind of get its act together on offense, Colorado can be a top three team in the Pac-12 Give, them a little, give the Buffs a little bit of a buzz here for getting a nice win on a neutral court in Chicago. By the way, there are <laughs> the, a couple, couple more quickies on this. One, um, I, I can't, it was like the Chicago Legends or something like that. Like there, I think there were like two or three games played at the United Center, and I don't know why that happened. Um, again, I don't understand why these things are scheduled the way they are, but whatever. Um, Money is uh, yeah, always oh, answered. For sure. And then you wouldn't have seen this, but I'm going to give John Rothstein a shout because John Rothstein did – a sideline hit, but it was with, like, six minutes to go in this game, and he, you saw, like, the leather strap of his of his bag on his shoulder, and so it looked kind of weird. And what was happening, I'd never seen this before. Rothstein does the hit, and then he starts talking about DePaul, and if DePaul had a different name on his jersey, it'd be getting more respect as a top 25 team. And De- also, also, if DePaul had a different name on his jersey, it'd be weird. Most teams have their own names on their jerseys, That's, so think about that. That just keep that in mind. I can't. Continue. I can't. I can't deny that. Well, DePaul was hosting Northwestern also on Saturday night, so so Rostin does the hit, and then the CBS camera follows him as he leaves the venue that that game early to go catch Northwestern at DePaul the same night in Chicago. It was 
I mean, I'm guessing he was covering that as well, but I had never seen that before. No, yeah, no he was doing both games. I was originally supposed to do both games. That's what, so, so you're why. You're the reason why. I think I, I, both games, I, don't, I yeah. don't know that it would have been turned into quite the production if it would have been me instead of Rostein. But both games but were I on would... CBS Sports Network, so that's exactly why it happened. It was it was uh, it was the reverse of like you know how when the games start with NBA and like the pregame you got the guys with the headphones on their outfits and they're walking into the arena. It right. was that except it was John Rostein with his with his uh, traveling bag and his long his long winter coat exiting the arena to get to uh, to Paul Northwestern. No, um, yeah, no, I, I, I initially had that assignment, and then, but I had already booked all of the travel for the CBS Sports Classic in Las Vegas, and so then I was like, you guys just tell me what you want me to do, and then it was like, okay, you go to Vegas, Rostin, go to Chicago, and, and everything's covered, so uh, I, I, I haven't seen it, obviously I was in T-Mobile Arena, but I'm sure it was great, and Rostin is, is genuinely uh, the best, just a good dude who works hard, and if that came through on the pro- uh, broadcast, it did. Uh, I'm I'm glad it did. Uh, real quick on Dayton, I'm still a believer in them. You know, I had had Dayton into the top five, the top twenty-five and one, and every day somebody would tell me they ain't beat nobody. So I was not that I'm rooting against Colorado, but I'm rooting for Dayton because I hate all those people. So I was disappointed to see uh, the result, but I'm still a believer in that team. That's a top five offensive efficiency team, number one effective field goal uh, percentage in the country, number one two point percentage in the country, and Obi Toppin is awesome. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm looking f- I, I still think that's the best team in the Atlantic 10. I think he's the best player in the Atlantic 10, one of the best players in the country. And I think that's still a team that can compete for a final four, even if, uh, what happened in Chicago, uh, was less than ideal. Now let's talk about Chris Holtman's former team. I saw, I saw on Twitter, you, you just went ahead and gave Butler a number one seed in the NCAA tournament yesterday. So consider this your opportunity to love the Bulldogs. It is going to be my opportunity to love the Bulldogs. Uh, if the no, it doesn't obviously, but just for like you know, Paul. All right, so Jerry Palm had his bracketology update on either Thursday night or Friday morning, and if Palm, he's not going to. We're in the midst of some bowl season, but if Palm had, if Palm updated his bracketology again for Sunday or for Monday, uh, his previous number ones were Kansas, Ohio State, Gonzaga, and Baylor. And now I think you would have to have Butler as a one seed. So you'd have Ohio State, Butler, um, Baylor, still Baylor and Gonzaga. Those would be the, those would be the one seeds right now. Two's probably Louisville, Duke, Auburn. I would go San. I think I would go San Diego State. And, and given where they are in the net rankings, that San Diego State would be a two seed right now. So just some credit here. To Butler, eleven and one, the only loss to the other another projected one seed at Baylor by one point has won one road game and three others away from home. Ha- doesn't have like a massive signature win, although it was although a little bit bumpy late against Purdue. It like clearly dominated Purdue, um, which before the game Purdue was seven. And Butler was eight in Ken Palm, and after that, Butler went to seven. Purdue, Purdue, despite I mean, despite being seven and five, is eleventh in Ken Palm right now. And it's not just Ken Palm. Torvik has Purdue at eleven as well. The uh, the preseason influence on those rankings is is kind of remarkable. I mean, Purdue is ranked ahead of teams like 
one loss Virginia and one loss Wichita State, two loss Penn State, undefeated Auburn in many instances. It's produced kind of a funky, um, kind of a funky deal overall. But credit to Butler for an outstanding start. One of its obviously one of its best starts in school history in non-conference play. Laval Jordan. And his staff are doing a great job. This is his third season with Butler. Made the tournament year one. Last season, way down down to the point where it's sub-500, and Butler was not projected by anyone, really, outside of Indianapolis as NCAA tournament quality. That hasn't been the case. Kamar Baldwin's been uh, very good. Bryce Golden has been an emerging player down low. Um, and it's been nice to see. Sean McDermott continues to be a sniper. In fact, I forget what game it was. It might have been Florida, it might have been Baylor, but McDermott like went out with like a really ugly looking injury earlier in the season to the point where like when he left the game again, this is like the fifth instance we've seen of this, but like when it happened, you thought, Oh great. Sean McDermott, he's gonna be out for who knows how many games. He came back in the very same game, has been outstanding. Top fifteen on offense and defense in terms of efficiency are your Butler Bulldogs. Credit to them. Have a claim as the best team in the Big East heading into league play. Uh, we'll wait and see if that's the case, but they deserve a little bit of shine, and so some shine they will get after beating Purdue in the Crossroads Classic on Saturday. It looks like there's only five teams in the country that are top 15 in both offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency right now, and uh, one of them is Butler. The others, if you're curious, appear to be Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, Kansas and then Butler as well. So that's nice company for the Bulldogs. 11 and 1, five top 55 Kimpom wins. Um I don't know if when we look up on selection Sunday they will actually get a one seed or even be in the conversation to get a one seed, but um if you're trying to figure out who's done the most work um between the start of the season and and Christmas, um you know, I, Butler's right at the top of the list or certainly near uh, the top of the list. It is uh super impressive stuff. All right, you ready for our Sunday podcast review? Let's give somebody a shout. And just a reminder to our listeners, so normally we have a Wednesday episode, but Wednesday is Christmas. We're not going to record on Christmas, and we want to actually give you something in time for your commute if you happen to be traveling to see friends or family on Christmas Eve. So the plan is to record an episode on late Monday night, give you something for your commute, and we are still going to take mailbag questions. So go to the Apple Podcast review section, ask us a question. Our next episode, since there's going to be almost no games of note that are going to be played and we think the storylines will be low, we're going to take a look back at the year in 2019 in college basketball, share some of our favorite memories, interesting notes, some of the biggest stories, kind of look back, give you a a College Hoops 2019 year in review, if you will. So... We'd love for you to go and rate and subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts if you have not already done so. And even if you have, please submit a question, and why not? Make it themed toward the year 2019. Ask whatever kind of question you'd like, but if you'd like to do that, we can certainly incorporate that into our next episode as well. Hope you're having a happy and wonderful holiday season. Thanks for taking the time to spend with us. We'll still have you covered with three podcasts later on this week. And as always... Appreciate you listening. Remember, I tell people that if you go to uh, the CBS Sports Island College Basketball page uh, over at Apple Podcast, you leave a review, uh, five stars and a nice comment. I'll pick one each week, and maybe you can get shouted out like Larnell. So here we go. This one comes from Vic, and here's what Vic wrote. Vic wrote, I've been a huge college basketball fan my entire life. Took me 23 years to find this podcast, and the rest is history. I've listened to every episode for the last two years in Norlander and Parrish. Hold up, Vic. Let's put the, let's flip those around. Flip those around. I've listened to every episode for the last two years, and Parrish 
and Norlander I mean, are the highlights. If you want to alter, if you want to alter what the man said on a podcast review, that's that's just your choice. But you might alienate future listeners from saying, "Why am I going to provide a review if Paris is just going to change what I wrote?" That's all I'm okay. saying. That's fair. Okay, I'll read as is. But going forward, new rules. If you're going to name us both, my name has to come first. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> I'm walking on one leg, and your name's got to come first. Sounds like a fair. I, I'll, I'll I'll restart. From Vic. I've been a huge college basketball fan my entire life. Took me 23 years to find this podcast, and the rest is history. I've listened to every episode for the last two years, and Norlander and Parrish are the highlights to my week every week. Yes, even in the offseason. And these guys make any news exciting, regardless of how slow or uneventful the news circuit is. Only suggestion for y'all be nice to us Kentucky fans. We're just a passionate people who live and die for basketball season. That's from Vic. And I will say that, um, Kentucky fans get a reputation of being the craziest. I don't even know if they're the craziest. There's just so many of them that their their percentage of crazies is higher than they have. A, they have a, just in terms of volume, they have they have more crazies than anybody else. But I don't find them necessarily to be any crazier. Um, certainly passionate, but any like crazier than than most. But um, if Vic if Vic is going to identify himself as a as a reasonable. A uh, passionate but reasonable Kentucky fan, then that's my kind of Kentucky fan. And obviously, here in Las Vegas, I've been surrounded by Kentucky fans. Nothing but good experiences. Um, and they they make these neutral court sites um, pop. Right. You know, like we watch some of these neutral court sites around the country. They ain't great. And I don't know what this one would look like without Kentucky. But with Kentucky, it looks full. full. Like Chris Holman sat down yesterday after the win in his opening comments. He said, it's a really nice kind of neutral court win because <laughs> it was filled with Kentucky fans. I mean, they were – I mean, Ohio State, I'm, I'm not saying they won in rough arena, but they won what felt like a road game against the Kentucky Wildcats. And um, I have an Im- immense amount of respect for that fan base. They, they don't only support their team. Um, they travel like crazy to support their team. So um, shouts to all Kentucky fans, but especially Vic. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Vic. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments, and we will talk to you again a little later on this week. Till then, take care. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut Podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found.